Welcome to the Immerse Podcast, where we look at God's Word to see why it matters for us today. We're back with episode number one, the first episode in our podcast, James. This is the first one. It is. It is the first real, genuine, let's talk about the Bible. And today's podcast, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to be introducing, so to speak, the book of Revelation to the listeners here that are listening to our podcast, our amazing listeners. So James, do you want to read that yes, text? Yes, I'd love to. So Revelation 1, 1 to 3 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. That's great. So, James, have you ever thought about literary types in the Bible? All day. I mean, that's something that you normally think about, right? (laughs) But you know, the book of Revelation, (laughs) it actually, there there are various types of literature in the Bible, right? There's Mm -hmm. the prophetic literature, there's the narrative literature, kind of like the Gospels, it tells a story. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know this, but I did some study and found that the book of Revelation actually combines elements of many literary types, including figurative, parallelism, typology, symbols, narrative, lots of different stuff. And so that's why it's so difficult for people to try to interpret the book of Revelation because they get hung up on one of the types rather than looking at the Revelation as a whole. Mm, Yeah, it's hard to put like um, a cookie cutter, as you might call it in the States. Right. You can't can't really press... Would you call it a biscuit cutter? Uh, I just wouldn't call it anything. I'd just eat the biscuits. Uh, But is it just a cutter? What would you call it in the UK? I have no idea. I'd have to ask my mom. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. uh, what what um, what do we mean? Uh, I think it's hard to put Revelation into a particular mold. It doesn't fit one particular. Like you said, uh, there's narrative stuff to real groups of people in the first couple of chapters. There's really prophetic things. There are narrative things that it's yeah it's uh it's good. Yeah, and the cool thing is is that it is apocalyptic literature. So Which that, lots of people don't get. Yeah. So what ap- is apocalyptic literature? Ap- apocalyptic, the way I understand it, is there is a word in Greek that um, is apocalypsi, and I'm not a Greek scholar, so maybe my pronunciation was bad on that. But it just simply means in the Greek language, which the Bible was originally written in, an unveiling or a disclosure. Mm. So we get the Greek word apocalyptus, ap- apocalyptic from this word. So the revelation is really something that previously was not known, that became known through the revelation that John received about mm. Jesus Christ. So in the first part of verse 1, with that thinking, would read the revealing or un- the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant. Right. Which and makes that a lot more sense. Makes really. a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, and, and the danger is today, as I talked about in the pilot episode, is that a lot of people... Uh, on YouTube, on uh, the, the TV, uh, especially with the supercharged politics all over the world today, talk about their way being the right way and them knowing all truth. And the truth is according to what it is to them versus the Bible being the truth and we all measuring our lives in the light of Scripture. And that's a good takeaway for Christians in general, not to 
follow any one of these crazy trends because there's constantly new trends in the barrage of social media. Oh, it sounds very highbrow. Yeah. That's deep. It's just, I mean, it's That's true. I, I, I get discouraged if I look too closely at all the news or all the social media because it just seems so doom and gloom. And if you don't follow this particular line of thinking, you're wrong or you're wrong if you do this or you're wrong if you do that. And everybody's judging everybody. Mm-hmm. I think more today and ever in the history of the world, everybody's doing something wrong according to someone else. Yeah, everybody's violating everybody else with their different opinions and the right. like. It's just mad. Yeah. Violating me with your opinions. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I don't mean to offend you, James. But the, the, the neat thing about the apocalyptic literature is that uh, you can interpret it in light of other apocalyptic literature in the Bible. So we would find that in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. Those are examples in the Bible of other types of apocalyptic literature. So to start off with, a, I kind of took a rabbit trail there, but to start off with verse 1 through 3, um, I, I think we stated it, but we're starting with a revelation, right? An unveiling. And so this unveiling is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So he's the hero of the story. He's the centerpiece of what we're basing all of this on. And would it be fair to say that making him first in our lives is going to make us happy? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, like you just said, um, it's a revealing of Jesus, which God gave him to show his servants. Uh Revelation is a book about Jesus. The Bible is uh, 66 individual books that teach us something about Jesus. And the Bible as a whole is one unified book about Jesus as well. People often come to the Bible and think that it's uh, some kind of manual for living your best life now. And if you read the Bible uh, and... The Bible will tell you about yourself and it'll tell you how to have a good life. And, you know, there's bit, there's bits of that in there. And you read parts of the Bible, you apply it to your life. Your life is better when lived according to God's word. But I would say that first and foremost, the Bible is a book about God. And it's not about us first. There's a lot of stuff that we can take and apply and learn uh, about our lives from the Bible. But first and foremost, it's a book about God and each individual book of the Bible teaches us something about Jesus and points to Jesus in some way. And I think some are more obvious, like Revelation, when it starts with the revelation of Jesus Christ. You already know that this book's main character, so to speak, the main hero, the hero of the book is going to be Jesus. But sometimes you've got to work harder. Do you know what I mean? Things with like the minor prophets, it's harder to get to Jesus, so to speak, but... Yeah, Revelation's good. It's a book about Jesus. Like you just said, he's the hero of the book. And That's a good point, James, because uh, if you look at many different religions in the world today, other religions, as well as our normal secularism in, in the West, it's all aimed at making us happier. And it's all about us and everything centered around us. And even in other religions, you talk about going to paradise or heaven to celebrate us and to give us more pleasure Versus in our faith and the Bible, it, it really talks about him and it talks about who God is, who Jesus is. And the more we understand about them, the happier we are. The more we understand the Trinity, the more we grasp the holiness of God, the, the, the different offices that Jesus uh, held when he was on the earth as well as what he holds now, being our high priest like in the book of Hebrews, the better we understand that, I feel like the better we have 
faith to make it through the day, to make it through the issues that we face every day. So I think that's a great point that you brought up, that the Bible is a book about God and us trying to understand who he is better to change our lives. Yeah, that helps you and that helps us understand who we are when you see who God right, is. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's great. Promise, that's yeah. great. So uh, that's first one. Um, and then, uh, you know, I wanted to say too that uh, the, in verse one, it, it talks about God uh, showing his servants the same things that must take place. So this book is not like a book of fairy tales. A lot of people say that, but there's so many confirmations in scripture. Uh, to confirm exactly what was written. And so this revelation is actually a confirmation about what's happening. I mean, obviously in God's mind, he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He knows what's going to happen. But it's a confirmation to mankind that we can have faith in knowing what the future holds. We, we know who the hero of the story is. We know that Satan is ultimately not going to have the power to run all over the earth and do what he does today. Mm. Yeah, I think we touched on it last time when we did a bit of an introduction to Revelation itself. You know, it's about the end of the world. It's not uh, fairy tales as such. And people get that thinking backwards that they look at the Bible and think, oh, look, it's just like a fairy tale. There's a good guy, there's a bad guy, there's a plot twist. It looks like it's going to go bad and then it finishes really good. But what really should happen is that should be flipped. So fairy tales and stories are based on the Bible. Do you see what I mean? The Bible's not written to reflect something like the Avengers. Right. Or uh, They all have the storyline and narrative from the Bible. Yeah, from the Bible. The Bible's not written... The Bible wasn't written to reflect a prehistoric Avengers right. story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it is interesting that when you watch uh, films, a lot of times uh, the plot, the main core of the narrative, is just a repetition of a biblical story. And you story. know exactly what's coming. Yeah, exactly there's a good guy, there's a bad guy. Right. The bad guy's going to get a little bit stronger, more influential. Right. The good guy's going to suffer a bit, but then he'll rally together maybe with some troops around him and he'll take on the big bad guy and he will win inevitably. Yeah. The bad guy will be cast to where bad guys are cast and the good guy wins and you know, you know exactly what's going to happen. And the scary thing is, is that we talked about last time in the pilot episode about being warned against counterfeits. The book of Revelation warns us against counterfeits. We have to be very careful as Christians that we don't allow a similar story to redefine our morality because it's just like the enemy to take a story from the Bible and mix in a bunch of junk that we wouldn't believe as Christians, but we warm up to the junk because we know the narrative and we know the story. So because the plot follows our plot line from scripture, then we buy into all the other lack of morals that go all around that. So, man, it is so easy as a Christian to get wrapped up in the wrong mm. Netflix show or the wrong... Like Harry Potter. Yeah. Get, get. Are you calling out <laughs> Harry Potter? No, I'm not calling out Harry Potter. I just mean that <clears throat> people get so into it and so attached to it and that I wish I was born a wizard or I wish I was born a witch. Because I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> Which house would you have been in? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you do, you do know. You just don't want to say. I think uh, I'm Harry concerned Potter, about. I'm concerned about being judged at this point. If you pick the wrong kind of house, yeah, 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 true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter. People get really into it, and they wish I was a witch. I wish I was a wizard, because at the core of that, there's good versus evil, and like you said, the narrative and the 
the story of Harry Potter, as an example, is so familiar. Underdog, mistreated by the majority, internally good, rises up, defeats evil, and all is well as the credits roll. And But like you said, that's the narrative of the Bible, essentially. Right. right. But people get so into it that they wish I was a witch, and I wish I was a wizard, or I wish I was a unicorn, or, you know, whatever. So, I mean, think about it. If you were, if you were Satan, would you say, hey, everybody in the world knows these narratives. I'd develop quickly. I'm going to develop a different narrative that has nothing to oh, do with the Bible. Yeah, you would take something that's so close to the Foreign. Bible. and just You'd take something so close and just tweak it a little take bit. Take the core ingredients out, but leave the, the surrounding stuff there. So you would try and you'd bake a cake that looks like and smells like other cakes. It's like those... Um, as long as you don't put a cherry on top of the cake. Well, cherries are always good on cakes. But uh, it's like those, you know, like super healthy, no sugar cakes. It looks right. like a cake. It might smell like a cake. You bite into it. You bite into it and it's just not quite a cake. But if you've never had a real cake with a load of sugar, you're going to think that's it. That this is what cake is. And if right. you're told this is a cake... Don't question this as a cake. Right. If you don't, if you question this as a cake, you're violating me with your alternative right. opinions. People won't then come out and say, "Hey, this is not a cake." Right. So, yeah. Well, hey, verse number two. Uh, <laughs> that's great, James. That's great. Verse number two uh, talks about John being faithful to accurately describe what he saw as the testimony of the word of God. So I cannot help but think of John 1, 1 in that instance. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. I mean, it's, it's, it's so clear about um, what John saw. And uh, a theologian, John Walford, said what John saw was a communication from and about Jesus Christ himself. So, man, what, what an amazing time that that may have been for John to be on that island and seeing this vision it seems so so overwhelming. I mean, you just have fallen at your knees and praise God for for what you saw. But that's it's great that we have that on our device, on our book, or whatever today, just to read it along in the language that we understand. Okay, so uh, the the third verse launches into this big blessed or blessed. So what is the difference, James? Well, you just said the same thing twice. I was Sorry, saying blessed different. and blessed. We've we looked at this over lunch, didn't we? And Blessed is an adjective. Blessed is the past tense of the verb blessed, but then apparently you can say it however you like anyway. So it's just context. So what's the hashtag blessed? Which one hashtag is that? Hashtag blessed. You've got to have a big beard, some thick rimmed glasses, and your shirt buttoned down up to the top to be hashtag blessed. Would that be a hipster? Probably, yeah. Drinking <laughs> Probably. some single source, locally roasted coffee out of a, you know, reusable biodegradable right, biodegradable because you have to have your uh, your uh, ethics right when it comes to saving the planet right mm -hmm. yeah yeah so uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know this James but in Revelation there are seven beatitudes so when you say the word beatitude I feel like almost everybody including non-Christians go oh yeah I remember that Sermon on the Mount that's quoted in so many movies it's quoted sorry films that's the British American See, see what we go through here with James and I with our British American English. Uh, there's, there's so many quotes of the Beatitudes, and almost everybody knows, oh, as Christians, aren't you supposed to love everyone? Hence, accept me for who I am and don't try to change me according to what the Bible says. But everybody knows the Beatitudes. But in Revelation, and, and, 
most people don't think about this, but there's actually seven Beatitudes in Revelation. Um, I'd love to just rattle them off. I know that we're going to look into them as we go through the book, but just to rattle them off. The first one is in 1.3. We're looking at it right now. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. So also in 14, 13, 16, 15, 19, 9, 26, 27, and 22, 14. In all of these, there is a blessed, blessed. Same, same. Same, same. Uh, there's, a, there's a beatitude. And so uh, it's, it's interesting to know that, first of all, what it, so this is such a Christianese term and thrown around in so many different circumstances. What does it mean to be blessed, James? If we're supposed to be blessed by doing something, what does that mean? That we have a special dispensation from God that we're in a unique type? I mean, what does it mean literally? Like you said, I think it's thrown around a lot with hashtag blessed, which means I am currently enjoying my material, physical surroundings. You know, like we've just had a great sandwich for lunch. You know, we're hashtag blessed because I've had an awesome sandwich for lunch. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, blessed, blessed, holy means holy and happy, and living the life that God uh, intends you to live in the in, in the way that He intends you to live, doing the things that He says we should do, doing our earthly best to avoid the things that He says we should avoid. But yeah, the core, blessed is the one who reads. You know, holy and happy is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and holy and happy are the ones who hear it and who keep it. So, just from verse number three. If I'm sitting in church and I'm listening to the sermons, I'm living my Christian life. If I follow the example of the world, I think that I'm happy if I make myself happy, right? Everything's in the world is focused on me. Mm -hmm. Social media is really me focused. It's not others focused. Mm. I mean, think about it. What's the big term? Selfie. Selfie is not others and about others it's not about loving my neighbor as myself it's about loving myself as myself Mm. so i'm the center of the world but but the book here says that we're happy if we listen to what god says and do it versus focusing all the energy on ourselves. and so i feel like that's kind of a radical message for today's world because we live in the selfie world i mean not just literally the selfie or the phone but it's about what you can acquire. It's about how you can make yourself happy, your family happy. It's all about me, 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 me. But this kind of paints a different picture, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, I think, like you said, there's a, a big difference between being happy by worldly standards, which usually means getting more stuff and getting newer stuff and doing stuff. Um, and holy and happy uh, in, in the Bible, I would uh, suggest, means to be living the life that God wants you to live. And that brings a, a real internal happiness that you just don't get from upgrading your iPhone or eating a great sandwich or driving a great car. There's just, you know, those things are nice. And the Bible talks about enjoying your life. You know, I think it's Ecclesiastes again and again and again and again. Just enjoy what you'd enjoy, the little things in life. Enjoy a nice coffee. Enjoy good company. But that's... That speaks to the transience of life. Holy and happy revelation style is just to be really secure inside and happy with just be a bigger picture. I don't know if if you've ever seen this, but I've seen people in my life who have acquired expensive items. And it's amazing how fast they lose interest in Mm. those items. Yeah, once the novelty's gone, then 
I think yeah. when you're a kid, you want so badly to get that one toy, and mm-hmm. finally you've waited long enough, and Christmas, here it comes, and you've got the toy, and you're so excited. And a couple of weeks later, it's just so ordinary. Mm. And I heard a pastor say one time that he took his uh, children to the local dump to demonstrate to them, see that car over there? That was somebody's passion. See Mm. that bicycle? That was somebody's passion. And you look at all this stuff and it's just worthless. Mm -hmm. But then you look at people in the world maybe who have uh, fed the poor, have helped the needy, and they just have an internal joy about it. Maybe they live a minimalistic non-material item-based life, but they're just so happy because they're doing God's work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Holy and happy are the ones who hear the words of this book and holy and happy are the ones who keep it. Finally, James, verse 3 says that the time is near. Yes. And I just want to know what that means. Does that mean uh, right now? I mean, does I that mean next week? What is near people mean? Assume, people think that, don't they? Because if you... Again, the worldly use of English words, when you say uh, the time is near, it means that chronologically um, it's happening soon. But when we read stuff like this in the Bible, well, the time is near means that it's going to come suddenly. So the time when Jesus comes back, when we are raptured to him, is coming suddenly. It means it'll come without warning. So unlike disaster movies that are often set somewhere in the States and they've got weeks to plan for it and that's not suddenly as it needs. You've got time to release your pets into the wild and you've got time to build your bomb shelter and you've got time to do all that stuff. But here when we read, it's the time is near. What it really means is speaking to the fact that the rapture, the next thing on it, the prophetic timeline, God's big timeline of things, that's coming suddenly without warning. Eminence. Imminently. Right. Yeah. So less uh, length of time before it happens, more manner in which it will happen. So it won't be announced. There's no countdown clock. It's more just, you know. So So for a takeaway from uh, verses 1 to 3, could we say that we need to live every moment of every day as if we could be gone tomorrow? That's nice. We should, yeah, we should print that. Live what it what is I believe a famous person, maybe Jim Elliott or somebody'd have to look it up, live with eternity in mind. Ooh. So you don't you don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes, but you do know that you've got a neighbor here that you could help out. Mm-hmm. You do know you've got a neighbor here who doesn't know who Jesus is and you want to tell them about it. You do know you've got uh, some people in the church, maybe a widow, orphans that you could help. Mm. Uh, so there's just so much stuff we could be doing without pointing the selfie at ourselves and thinking about how well we look in ourselves. Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, do it tomorrow. Like you said, uh, if Jesus comes back now, would you be comfortable and happy with him coming back now? Are you where you want to be in your relationship with him? Do you even have a relationship with him? Would you be embarrassed if he came back now and saw what you were doing right now? Right. Obviously, if he comes back and you're listening to this tremendous podcast, he'll probably right, say, right. he'll probably say something like, "Well done, good and faithful servant." Right. But. Uh, <laughs> But no, would you be all right with him coming back now? And like you said, live with eternity in mind because it's coming suddenly and without without announcement. Right. Well, with that, James, I think that will wrap up our podcast for today. Um, Thank all of our amazing listeners. Yes. All three of them. No, I'm just kidding. Thank all of our amazing listeners. Um, My wife and your wife. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We will continue this next time in our next episode. Yes, with verses four to eight. Yes. Good. Good.